something that can be old news, is the American Civil War. But it's also relevant today. Too many wars around right now, aren't there? And botanist Dr Peter Bernhardt knows why we should learn from them and those of yesteryear. Richard Evan Schultes, one of Harvard's finest professors of botany, once observed that historians stumble because they know so little about botany. Let's consider that statement. Aren't most wars all about depriving the enemy of his own landscape? As past conflicts required the resource provided by plant-based foods, drugs, fibers, and timbers, the American author Judith Sumner has taken all of this into account in her most recent book, Plants in the Civil War, A Botanical History. The author does a brilliant job over eight chapters covering less than 200 pages. She preserves the authenticity by including many illustrations derived from science and agricultural books, as well as newspapers of the same era. Miss Sumner's bibliography draws on almost 300 documents from official government pamphlets to ladies' magazines. She weaves together the accessibility and application of native and introduced species used by plantation owners, their slaves, and the armies of the North and South. The text filled my head with images of desperation. A wife of a Confederate soldier wore an absurd hoop skirt of 13 meters of cotton fabric, but she turned her flower garden over to opium poppies. Morphine was the only dependable painkiller for the wounded and was in short supply due to blockades. In contrast, here is a slave woman serving dinner in bowls made only of the hard rinds of bottle gourds, Lagunaria cicerea, but she chews the roots of cotton in secret. The gossip hole they contained probably limited her ability to produce more children for her master to sell. Why do native blackberries, rubus species, receive ten references in the index? They were a famine food by the war's end and quick to colonize abandoned fields. The trees were at war. Sumner reminds us that at a specific gravity of 0.55, the wood of black walnut, Juglans nigra, was so shockproof and rot-resistant it made the best gunstocks. Wooden legs for amputees were carved first of native oaks, but some preferred black tupelo, Nisa sylvatica, because it was cross-grained and less likely to split. Using iron as a mordant, the bark and shells of butternut, Juglans cineraria, gave Confederate uniforms their characteristic gray color. Sumner describes American botanists at war. Henry Ravenel made his slaves collect fungus specimens before losing his fortune. In contrast, Asa Gray, Harvard's first professor of botany, kept up his correspondence with Charles Darwin, and the two of them celebrated the end of slavery in paragraphs alternating 
with descriptions of pollination in orchids and primroses. But you must be asking, what is all this to an Australian, especially one who remembers the Ken Burns documentary? I think there are at least two lessons here for you. First, people make the same mistakes in different places in different times. When Judith Sumner writes that by the 1860s, the American South had already deforested over 60 million hectares because they found it easier to clear more land for reasons of economy and soil fertility, it may remind you of Queensland and northern New South Wales during the 20th century. While Southerners appreciated the majesty of their native trees, they also aped the British taste for exotics from Asia. That meant importing what became in face of camphor laurels, Cinnamomum camphora, and, uh-oh, polonias. They also took an unfortunate fancy to Australia's white cedar, Melia asderach, which also escaped. I was surprised to learn that the beloved and invasive Cherokee rose, Rosa levigata, of Br'er Rabbit's Briar Patch, came from China. Second, yes, America has entered a bizarre age in which some think they must protect children by banning books from school libraries. I'll bet you think that includes this book because it details the daily mistreatment of a race and the inadequate care of military casualties, including the use of extracts of woodland herbs for outbreaks of venereal disease. Well, you're wrong. I asked the author, and she reminded me that Civil War history remains a respected business and brand of scholarship in the American South. School boards and parents have not messed with her plans in the Civil War to date. Think about that should you ever visit New Orleans. Residents still drink their Civil War daily blending of coffee with the roasted root of European chicory. Sicorium intibus. Pure coffee was another wartime shortage. Mixed with chicory, it's the historical signature still preferred by its residents of all colors and tourists like me. Peter Bernhardt, botanist at St. Louis, Missouri. And the book is Plants in the Civil War, the History by Judith Sumner. And yes, with the wars on now, the same terrible experiences are being repeated. Won't we ever learn?